Do you see the picture that God is creating through sending his Holy Spirit? He says that an infant will play beside a cobra's pit. A toddler will put his hand into a snake's den, and they will not harm or destroy each other. On my holy mountain, for the land will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with Jesus, um, we thank you that you have not left us alone. Um, I thank you that you have not left us alone and um, that you have actually done what you said you were going to do and you have sent the helper. Um, And as we look at Acts chapter 2 and consider everything that's going on, Lord, I pray that we would fall in love with your vision. Lord, this isn't my vision. This isn't my commands. This isn't my um, application points. Lord, this is, I I truly do believe that this is from you. And so if if we are stretched this morning, if we are pulled this morning, I pray that we would see that it is you doing it, Lord. Um, And as we've been saying all morning, as we said in liturgy, as Joseph had us saying Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit will come because it's actually better that we have the Holy Spirit. We have no power without him. So Holy Spirit, would you come today? In Jesus' name, amen. Um, my name is Carlos. Like I said, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I get the privilege and the opportunity to meet with a lot of you. But a lot of you don't really know me all too well. So I just want to share, I guess you do. I shouldn't say that. You know me, but, um, I want to share with you like this, like small snippet of kind of like a a liturgy that me and my family do. So, uh, one of the things that we love to do in the Sims household at the end of a long day is sit down and, uh, we like to huddle on one couch. I don't know why. Family five. We all like to be on the same couch for some reason. Um, Huddle on one couch, and we love to watch baby videos of all the kids. It's just like, oh, man. I'm even like, my heart's warm just thinking about it. Um, They love, they, they always initiate this. They love seeing how each of them have grown up and changed. And that's one of those things that I pray that God continues to like have be, you know, to, to be in, um, in our, in our, family rhythms. Um, but this week, uh, we did this again. Um, and we were looking at, uh, baby videos of my, my middle son, Ezra. And, uh, one thing dawned on me though, in the middle of us looking at these videos that that's never really dawned on me before. Um, and it's, it's the fact that although Ezra's walking now and not crawling, and although he, he talks now, he no longer does that baby gibberish that you gotta, you need an interpreter to figure out what's going on. Um, although he can eat solid food now and he no longer drinks his mother's milk, that boy's still the same person that he was when he was a kid, right? He's still the same baby. His personality, his smile, his energy, his natural God-given joy, all these things were given to him from his creation, We can only see it more clearly because day by day, Ezra is growing and becoming new. In a sense, you can say that he's growing into a new creation. All right, so as we look at our text this morning and we consider what it means that God has sent us the Holy Spirit, we may be tempted to think that God is behaving differently than he's always 
behaved, right? Um, but we will see that's not the case. In fact, we will see that in Pentecost, this is, Pentecost is God's vision for creating, uh, excuse me, and we will see that Pentecost is God's vision for creation being made new. Um, so God's not doing anything new. Well, he is, but he's not doing anything strange and out of character. And I'll explain that in a second. But let's stand for the reading of God's word, if you're able. We're going to be in Acts 2, 1 through 24. And I just want to preface by saying that there is so much in here that I, I'm not even going to be able to scratch the service in. Um, but I want to hone in on a couple of things. This is the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each of them. Then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one of them heard uh, someone speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, look, aren't these all, excuse me, aren't all those who are speaking Galeans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Paraguay and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what? does this mean? But some sneered and said, they're drunk on new wine. Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and proclaimed to them, fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain to you and pay attention to my words for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on my people. Then your sons and your daughters, they will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and the cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. Then everyone, everybody say everyone. everyone. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him. Just as you yourselves know, though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, You use lawless people to nail him to the cross and kill him. 
But praise be the Lord that God raised him up, ending the pains of death. Because it was not possible for him to be held by death. This is the word of the Lord. It is good. It is true. You may be seated. All right, come on. Help me, Lord. This is good. Oh, my gosh. Okay. In the beginning of this here book, we learn that God is at the forefront and he is the forerunner, front runner, excuse me, at all that is to come. He is the catalyst for all we see and all we don't see. He is the catalyst for all we know and all we don't know. And Moses, the writer of Genesis, wants us to know that creation has a genesis and it's our creator God. I want to briefly call your attention to the opening lines of Genesis 1. As we look there, we see something very unique and very glorious. I'm just setting the stage so you guys, I got a very long intro, so just buckle up. We see something very unique and very glorious. We learn that in the beginning there is God. God who is perfect, but in his mysterious will, he chooses to create. In the beginning, we learn that the spirit of God, it hovers over the formless and empty creation. We learn in the beginning that the word of God, it cracks the silence of the empty and formless creation. And from it sparks everything that we know and everything that will be. From the very opening lines of the Bible, we learn two things about who God is. We learn that God is a creator. And we learn that God, though one whole, is diverse in his character. The son is not the father. The father is not the son. And neither of them are, are the spirit. Yet they all make up one gloriously good God. You guys tracking with me? Now this is especially important when we come to the book of Acts. And especially Acts chapter 2. Because this framework of who God is. Both him being a uh, creator and unified but diverse in his character. is going to help us make sense of what's going on when he sends the Holy Spirit. So in the words of Marvin Gaye, what's, what's going on? <laughs> what's going on here? Well, before we do that, I still have more, uh, more front-loading to do. Uh, what we just read, right? What I just read from Acts chapter 2, this is the result of the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus, just three years earlier, he burst onto the scene healing and preaching and performing miracles, and he's flipped the world upside down. And if you are new to the work and the life of Jesus, what makes him especially different from any old teacher or any old prophet is that he is God made flesh. John chapter 1 tells us that the word of God, it took on flesh and became a man, two natures in one person, 100% God and 100% man. God, he has come to live among his creation. And while Jesus, he does a ton of cool things, right? We were going through the book of Mark. We see Jesus doing a ton of cool things. The most important thing that he did was live a perfect life in complete obedience and satisfaction in God. And he died for the sins of the world, substituting himself on our behalf so that all, everyone who would trust in the work of Jesus, they will be saved from God's just wrath and brought into a relationship with God. This is what we call the gospel. This is the gospel. It's the good news that God has made a way for you and for me 
to be not only saved from our sins, but brought back into right relationship with our creator. And after Jesus dies, three days later, he rises from the grave. He resurrects, amen. And what does the risen Jesus do? What, what, what's, what does the resurrected Jesus do? Well, let's turn back one chapter in the book of Acts. Acts 1, 4 through 8, it tells us what, what does Jesus do? It says this, while he was with them, while he was with his disciples, he commanded them, hey, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait, wait for the Father's promise. You heard me speak about this, right? You heard me say that when John baptized, John, he baptized you with water, but I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? And he said to them, hey, it's not for you to know the times or the periods that the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power. Everybody say power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see what's happening right here? We got to understand this interaction with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus and his disciples to make sense of what's happening in Acts chapter 2. The disciples are sitting before the glorified Jesus. Everything that he has said, it has come to pass. He has died a sacrificial death. He has snatched back the keys of death. He has risen from the grave. And in their minds, they think, man, it's about to happen. It's it's like heaven is about to crack open the sky and God's going to take us home. It's about to get on and pop him. That's what they mean when they say, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? They want to know, are you, finally, are you finally about to liberate Israel from Rome? Are you about to establish your kingdom? And I imagine Jesus, because he he's, so, he's such a good teacher. He's so kind and patient. So I just imagine him smirking a little bit and looking at them. Like my mom used to look at me when I asked questions that were above my pay grade <laughs> and say, that's none of your business. <laughs> That's none of your business. But this is what I need you to know. And this is what I need you to worry about. In a few days, I'm about to baptize y'all with the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, you are going to receive power. Power to be my witnesses on the end of the earth. Jesus is essentially saying this, family. My kingdom reign and my kingdom rule It's going to spread through you. It's going to spread through us. And in Acts chapter 2, we have this promised power fulfilled. Everybody say power. Power. We have this promised power fulfilled. This is what we walk into in Acts chapter 2. And that's the end of my intro. It's a long intro, I know. Um, And like I said in my opening, when we read Acts 2, that the Holy Spirit fills the disciples in this way, it may seem that God is acting out of pocket, right? But he is in fact acting in alignment to who he is. Remember what I said, that God is both what? Creator, and he's also diverse. And in sending the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, God is imparting his power into his people so that they so that we could be the means by which God institutes his rule and reign by creating a new and diverse creation. We have power. 
So let's break this down. What does it mean that God sends the Holy Spirit? This is where I'm going this morning. I got two points and I'm gonna get out your way. I promise. When God sends the Holy Spirit, he, it means that God is making a new humanity and he's making an entirely new creation. He makes a new humanity and he makes a new creation. So point number one, if you're a note taker, when God sends the Holy Spirit, it means that he makes, he is making a new humanity. And I know what some of you are probably thinking right now, because <laughs> this is what I thought when I typed this. You're probably surveying the room and you're like, y'all look, they look the same to me. I don't, I don't see new people. People are still people. I was just on Instagram this morning. The world is still the world. People are still people. And to that objection, I would say to you, are you sure? Are you sure that these people in our congregation, that we're just people? Are we just people? These people who have forsaken the pleasures of the world and sought their ultimate pleasure in Jesus, are they, are they just people? Or are they what Paul called them in 2 Corinthians 5? Paul looked at the Corinthian church, a church full of people with flaws and fallacies and that probably would make us all look like saints. He looked at them and said, no, they are new creations. They weren't what they used to be. They are new. And how do you suppose that Paul could be so sure that the people that he looked at who had put their hope in Jesus were new creations? It's because Jesus has sent his Holy Spirit. Those people are marked by their indwelling presence, by the indwelling presence of the Spirit. The Spirit makes us new. And this is what we see happening in Acts chapter 2. God, he is making a new humanity. Let me paint the picture for you. You can close your eyes, you keep them open. But sometimes this helps me fully understand uh, what happened, what's, what's happening. The disciples, they are... And all the followers of Jesus, they're together in one place. They're in this room. They're probably praying. They're probably singing. They're probably meditating on scripture, similar to what we did in house church last week. And then suddenly, as promised, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit from heaven to fill the room where they're occupying with a loud and a, a noticeable and audible sound. And it's probably... I, as, I, as I put myself in this scene, I probably, I see there's, there's like this chaotic fury of like, I don't know if they had paper or scrolls or whatever, but this stuff is just like flying everywhere. There's this, this chaos and maybe, maybe one of the disciples, he looks up and he sees this, this Holy Spirit just hovering. Hovering. <laughs> hovering over the chaos. Hovering similar to how the Spirit of God hovered over the waters in Genesis 1. But this is different because this time the disciples, they see fire. They see tongues of fire that separate and they, they land on the heads of, of everyone. And I imagine that as a first century Jew with a vivid history of God's people being led through the wilderness in Exodus by fire, they're probably thinking to themselves, oh my gosh, this is God. This, this is God. This is God come to lead his people through the wilderness to the promised land. I imagine them thinking, this is it. It's God's kingdom. He's about to get it on and popping. 
It's about to be established. And out of nowhere, they open their mouth and they begin to speak different languages. And they're like, whoa, what is, what's going on here? What's going on here is that God is making a new humanity. These are new people. This is a new creation. The spirit fills the people and they begin to speak different tongues. Come on. Come on, man. That's, that's so good. Do you see what's taking place? Do you see God molding and shaping and reshaping the old humanity into a new humanity, to a new creation? What's taking place is that the fire of heaven, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity comes and fills these Jewish believers to not only make them a new people, right? But he gives them power to speak different languages, recognizable, noticeable languages so that the people around them who are not God's people will become his people. He's making a new humanity. The power of God in the mouth of his people is spreading like wildfire. It's a new humanity, a humanity that isn't marked by ethnicity, ethnicity, a mankind that is full and colorful and diverse and textured. It's a mankind that expresses the diverse excellencies of the creator in whose image they are made in. We see in this list, we see Romans and Arabs and Jews and Africans and and more, a diversity of people who are able to hear their creator God calling out to them through the voices of God's people. This is what the Holy Spirit does. It makes a new humanity. As I got to this part of my prep, I just couldn't get this image out of my head. (laughs) it reminded me of your trumpet your trumpet analogy I found it in the office this week were you practicing sorry I'm calling you out sorry I don't know I should call you out sorry it just reminded me of Cole's trumpet I just can't get the idea I can't get the picture out of my head of like cause Cole you know she's like dude like you're a band nerd like this like just this like this image of Cole being a band nerd, it's just, I can't get it out of my head. But while that's funny, <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a band nerd too. In fact, we all, we all are band nerds. I don't know if you knew that, but we are all band. I'm sorry if you're a band person. I don't mean this derogatorily. I just thought about that right now as I said this out loud. <laughs> I got to go with it because I, <laughs> I love you guys. You know that. You know that. We are all band nerds. In fact, this scene in Acts 2 is just a snapshot, right? It's a snapshot of heaven's band playing their most famous selection. It's called God's glory. What we see here is the Holy Spirit acting as the conductor and moving into the old humanity and filling them with the ability to play different instruments that praise God's glory. But instead of the band being comprised of only like trumpet players, right? Our holy conductor, he is giving these to the disciples the ability to play the saxophone and the cymbals and the trombone and the flute and the drums and all the other instruments that I can't name. And if you are a believer today, listen to me. If you are a believer today, God has turned you into a band band nerd. Not so that you can admire your pretty instrument on a shelf 
And not, and also not so that you can just practice your, your playing in the midst of the other band members. We were made to play. We were made to play heaven's glory to an audience who doesn't know God. To an audience that has grown deaf to the beauty of God's song. God has given us this power and he's given us the ability to play. We are all band nerds. And God has equipped you to play an instrument. Right, that's what makes orchestras so beautiful, right? You have these people in this big room with a ton of different instruments. And what are they doing? They're playing different instruments, but to one sound, one beat. It's just, it's this, this beautiful picture of, of, of unity and, and diversity. It's just, it's amazing. As we see the Holy Spirit come, right, and fill these believers and give them the ability to speak different languages, what we are witnessing is God through the Spirit making a new, diverse humanity. And what this means is that God is empowering his people to be his witnesses, like he said in Acts 1, right, to be his witnesses to a multitude of different people. I said it a number of times and I'll say it again. He is making a new humanity, a diverse humanity, one comprised of black people and white people and Hispanic people, but also one uh, uh, comprised of people with physical and mental disabilities, single people, married people, a new humanity filled with children, with elderly people, with business people, with rich people and people suffering from poverty. God is making a new humanity and he's using the Holy Spirit in the hearts and the mouths of his people to do it. He uses those who have been made new to spread his glory out in every crevice and corner of the world. That's what we're celebrating this morning with the coming of the Holy Spirit. So pick up your instrument and play. Like seriously, we are band nerds. (laughs) Um, Here's my pastoral charge for us as believers this morning. Um, because being, maybe I shouldn't use band nerd, being a, a musician, I'll call us musicians, how about that? That might be better. Being a musician, it comes with implications. Having the Holy Spirit sent to us means that we have an audience, that you, you have an audience. Whether that's your coworkers, your kids, your roommates, or your baristas, you have an audience. And I know the object, objections, because I have these two. But I don't know how to play, Carlos. <laughs> well, lucky for you, we learn a very important principle as we look at Acts chapter 2. A very important principle. And that principle is that the Holy Spirit equips you with the skills that you need. He equips you with what you need. These disciples, they had never spoken these languages before, yet they are equipped to do the work that Jesus has called them to do. Do you hear what that means? Hopefully this frees a lot of us in here. What that means is that your skills or your lack of skills is no barrier to God using you to be a blessing to your neighbors, your coworkers, your kids. It's no barrier. Just because you didn't grow up the same way a certain person did or you aren't the same stage of life that a certain person is, it doesn't mean that you can't give them the hope of Jesus because What happens when you have the Holy Spirit? You have power. 
You have the power of God. All we gotta do is play. Just play, beat the drum, blow the flute, play those cymbals and watch and be amazed at how God turns our church, our city into the frontier where heaven meets earth. Watch and stay amazed and stand amazed as we play our instruments empowered by God's Holy Spirit. We begin to reflect the beauty and the diversity of God and participate with God in creating this new humanity. This new humanity, like it's, ah, do you believe, like really, do we believe that we can do this? God has given us his, his power. It's a glorious picture. Um, and this brings me to my second implication, which is not nearly as long. Um, and that the fact that when God sends the Holy Spirit, it means that he's making an entirely new creation. Um, you guys still with me this morning? Okay. Um, God has not left us alone. And I know this is, thank you, Jesus. Um, I know that sometimes it feels like you're walking through life alone. But one of the truths that we learn here in Acts chapter two is that God, that Jesus, by the power of his, by, by his own, he sends the Holy Spirit to dwell and make his home inside of us. That God who, who's, whose whole being can't fit in the cosmos, he chooses to dwell in the hearts of his believers. So I guess I just, what I'm saying is like, you're not alone right? And, and, and your not aloneness should, what it should do is it should cause us to go out into the world, into our cities and our streets and um, share that good news with everyone that we come in contact with. Um, that God is spreading, he, he is, he's, he's spreading his rule and reign through his people. Um, all right, so, sorry. I feel like I just had to say that. So when, when, when God sends the Holy Spirit, it means that he's making an entirely new creation. So as we look, as we look back at our text, we learn that the tongues of fire, they, they did what? They enabled the disciples to speak in other languages. And we see that the onlookers, they, they hear what's happening and they go, oh my gosh, what, like, what is this? We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. So if we want to continue with this band analogy, right? This next part that we'll describe like, is, is, is what song are they playing? Like what exactly, what, what, what song on God's album are, the, are these people playing? What are the magnificent acts of God? Well, it's the fact that because of the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, God is instituting a new creation, a creation, right? A new creation that has its first fruits in Jesus, right? That then transcends to us. A, a new creation that inches its way into the hearts and souls of people from every corner of the globe as God's instruments to play the song of the gospel. 
right? A song that offers life freely, a gospel that sings of the sweet satisfaction that God offers us as we turn from our sins and turn to Jesus who has paid the punishment for our sins. Family, God is making a new creation through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is creating a new, entirely new creation. As I think about Genesis 1, it makes, it, 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 what, it, what it shows me is that the Holy Spirit is creating a new creation where light and the dark will finally and forever be separated. Because the ancient foe, the devil, will totally and finally be destroyed and death itself will die. And all we will have is God's light. In the new creation, the streams of God's living water will separate from the dry land of despair and hopelessness. And there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more heartache. Because all we have is Jesus at the center. The Holy Spirit is creating a new creation where the trees will bear fruit. But those trees aren't simply just apples and oranges and pears, but those are, they will be the fruits of righteousness that fall from God's people who have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. In the new creation, all of God's creatures will fall back into alignment with the way that they were intended and there will be peace on earth. Or as the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 11, the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lay down with the goat, the calf, the young lion and the fattened calf. They will be together and a child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze. Their young ones will lay down together and the lion will eat straw like a cattle. Oh, do you see the picture that God is creating through sending his Holy Spirit? He says that an infant will play beside a cobra's pit. A toddler will put his hand into a snake's stand and they will not harm or destroy each other. Oh, my holy mountain for the land will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. God is sending his Holy Spirit. You are the first fruits but there's a real reality that God is making everything new. He's making everything new. No disease, no sickness, no death, no heartbreak, no disappointment. All we have, all we will have is Jesus at the center of our hearts. And our hearts will be satisfied and we will forever, as God's instruments sing glory and honor and praise and thanksgiving to our risen lamb. That is, that is the promise that we all have. That is the promise that the Holy Spirit has. And you have the first fruits in your heart right now. Right now. You have it right now. This is what we celebrate when we celebrate Pentecost. God, through the sending of the Holy Spirit, he is making all things new. All things new. Humanity and creation and as we think about what that means for us, I have one application and one application only. Um, you ready? Get your pens out. This is, jot this down. This is important. Live like a new creation. <laughs> Play your instrument. Trust God. Earnestly seek the, the spiritual gifts and the spirit and watch God's new creation fill our church our city, and the ends of the earth. Amen? Let's pray.
Jesus, um, gosh, I feel like I just barely scratched the surface. Um, If your church, Lord, if you're not making a new humanity that is diverse, then what does that say about your global reign? But Lord, you are. You are growing the church in Asia. You are growing the church in India. You are growing the church in Central and South America. Your reign is spreading like wildfire, Lord. You have, spit, you have sent your Holy Spirit and it is just setting your creation on fire. And so I guess my prayer, Lord, is that we would seek to take part in that. Um, that we would seek to have every pocket of our city set on fire by your Holy Spirit, Lord. What joy, what joy is on the other side of us just opening our mouths, playing our instruments, tapping into your power, and you coming and filling us. So that's my prayer, Lord. I pray that our, our, our church will reflect your that when people look at our church, they would say, that is what God is like. That is what he's like, and he's all.